0: Welcome to the Aging Hipster Movie Show.
1: Welcome to the Aging Hipster Movie Show. I am Bob Serrano. Tonight is the season two finale. There's a common saying out there. They say we save the best for last. But in this case, all I could say, we saved Crawl for last.
0: On a distant planet, a great kingdom was ravaged by beings who came from the future to conquer the universe.
2: survivors follow a doubtful seer and a throneless king
0: they will hold her in the black fortress you must have help thieves bandits fighters and brawlers
1: desperate men those are the kind of men i need. well you heard him
0: we are now an army
2: at the end of an impossible journey they must fight an invincible enemy is the knowledge you seek
3: i shall be your king in the fortress you will face more than the slayers
2: what is about to happen to them could never have happened on earth
0: columbia pictures presents a world apart from anything you have seen before
1: First up, making it to the finish line is Tim Holly from 10 Monsters and Tape Freaks. I, I made it. Tim... I
2: made it through Crawl. Yeah. I made it to the end.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. Eight movies up, eight movies down. What was your favorite movie to revisit?
2: Oh, man. There's a few that I hadn't seen in a long time, like Last Starfighter and Crawl. I hadn't seen in a long time. So it was fun to revisit them. But I think my favorite of the, the bunch is probably Flash Gordon. That one just is so bonkers and so much it's just insanity from start to finish <laughs>
1: oh man yes and with a fantastic yeah a soundtrack from queen for sure well second up is someone that once again answers the aging hipster bat phone she just got herself promoted to the official pod friend it's moxie from your brain on facts podcast and you can also get the official book from uh your brain on facts which is currently on sale on amazon for 18.99 how are you doing moxie
3: well, you've invited me in three times, kind of like a vampire. Now you are
0: powerless. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know.
3: I'm sort of like a really nerdy Beetlejuice. And uh, I suspect from a little bit of what we heard so far and a little bit of our off-mic chatter that uh, I'm going to have to throw hands tonight. <laughs> we are already, the the room is already dividing. <laughs> I know, you're, it's just
1: going to be you and the glaive. <laughs> You know, that that you can't <laughs> practice with, you know, but you'll know how to use it when it's time.
3: No, but I was a child in this time period. I had the three-pronged uh, Nerf mm-hmm. boomerang, so oh, I am as Lord ready Lord. as a person can be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> any any sort of updates from, I know you do, you, uh, you have a podcast, you got a bunch of other stuff coming. I know that you you've been releasing some episodes. I even listened to the one about the first, like the first today as well do you have any sort of thing that you wanted to plug before you get on if
3: you are interested in my lovely npr professional radio voice but you don't necessarily want useless facts like my long diatribe about the mating habits of the spotted hyena but please do ask me about that someday (laughs) i am also available for voiceover work you can email me moxie at yourbrainonfacts.com
1: fantastic and our and the last hipster coming back on it is from the Boothin podcast. Is y'all y'all. What's up, Fam doing?
4: Bam, coming in large and in charge, chilling in the analog dungeon live from who knows where. I'm just here to say what's up. What's up, Bob, Tim, Moxie? I see the name stands true. It's nice to formally meet you, even though you've already offended me thoroughly. Hello. <laughs>
3: that's part of the introduction process yes yes
4: yeah, so I'm here for it um but yeah I'm just glad to be back on uh, a podcast of such esteem and such an epic season uh, the re-invite honestly kind of shocked me but uh, you know I'm very happy to be back and uh, Bob I will say I think you might be outgrowing me in the hair department right now you're uh, you're growing it out and uh, I admire that so I just wanted to let you get get credit oh, where it's,
1: yeah. it's just It's just thin and I got the bald spot in the back. I I hope to really get like the David Carradine, you know, just like ponytail.
0: (laughs) I think that's my, just let it all hang out.
1: huh? Because you thought,
3: you know, what's a good look strip club, DJ. That's (laughs) what I want.
1: (laughs) Exactly. By the way, is
4: is Moxie a real Uh, person? I'm I'm getting deep, uh, like cyborg vibes. I don't know. (laughs) I mean,
1: yeah, her her voice is it's too perfect, polished. Yeah. She's like, this is, yeah, she's too good for yeah, this I, podcast. But she, but Ella, it's great yes. that she's on. I love having her on.
3: Well, I will say, you know, there is a rule against me uh, harming humans, but that doesn't mean I can't embarrass <laughs> yeah, the shit out of you. Uh,
1: so y'all, y'all, um, let's talk about your podcast a little yeah, bit. Man. Like I've noticed, like you put out a mixtape your last episode. Yes. And then you announced you're you're totally gone for social media, so people can't even. Yeah, I mean, honestly,
4: you. you're lucky you had my email, man. Uh, I've lost a lot of contacts. I just kind of went dark on socials. Um, I just had a I've had a weird summer where I kind of a lot yeah. of changes. Uh, kind of opened up my uh, uh-huh. my diet. I'm like vegan now. I'm about fifty pounds down from my peak weight, so. Thank you. Um, but I mean, there's still a long ways to go. Uh, but basically, it's, I, social media just wasn't working for me. Uh, a lot of free content was going out. So I've switched over to uh, Patreon, and I'm doing a mixtape every week. And so by the end of the year, I will have outpaced Lil Wayne's 25, ideally. So I dropped the third <laughs> mixtape today. And if anyone's interested, just to shamelessly plug, you can go to and you can edit this if you need. Fuck y'all y'all dot com. That's F-U-C-K-Y-A-L-L Y-A-L-L dot com and uh, just, you know, fucks with it or don't I and mean, whatever at this point. But thank you guys for having me on. Not to sound different towards you. I'm just uh, just in it for the love of the game, man.
1: No, I get it. And I definitely have to endorse checking out what you're doing. You're def- you're doing something unique. I'm the one just rehashing movies and no, stuff. Necessary, but necessary. Like, necessary. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Necessary God's rehashing. Work i i was i was also playing the mix uh, your last mixtape from wednesday over dinner with my kids and i i was surprised it's, it is explicit but like i just let that pass you know that's okay <laughs> they were dancing I, to it a little bit after after they got through it they're just like after like the, the my son is definitely more into like interesting music the other my girls like oh, yeah, just yeah. want Disney, but at the end they were all DNC. Well, I'll
4: send so you a, a cut of the
1: And then he then he dropped the M F I was like, ooh, I'm oh, glad yeah. my wife's not here right now. I <laughs> know no, I broke bad on it,
4: man. I just uh they don't pay me enough to police how the fuck I talk, to be honest. I'm kinda <laughs> at that point. And whatever comes of it, comes of it. I'm I'm at peace with myself. It's just um I'm tired of censoring myself to get shit on by the government metaphysically and physically probably literally even shit on by the government at times <laughs> my job so consider it reckless but you know it's my uh first amendment to write i guess so thank you for having me here to express myself uh i really appreciate it
1: yep no problem especially yes, about crawl primarily and we are also here brought to you <laughs> sponsored again by timmonsters.com be the talk of your next door app when you probably display your three the hard way screen print or the thing t-shirt. Go to tinmonsters.com today and get yourself something. Tim has a bunch of apparel, screen prints and other stuff. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff from the Mads from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and all that kind of stuff. I have been shamelessly uh, offering out that stuff to people as I've been Hitting Instagram, <laughs> talking people, so we'll, we might have to talk later. You know, but I do know that Paul Shear is a fan of your work, though he didn't buy any oh, really? Of it, but he he did like okay, the Canon okay. T-shirt. He did, he did say It was sweet. Okay, so before we get into um to the movie. We've all seen this movie before when we're younger, correct? Yep. Yes. Tim, yep, yep. I remember even having the book, the crawl book, because it, it, that's one of the fascinating things about crawl is that they just totally blitzed. They thought this was going to be
2: such a huge movie. They're doing for,
1: video games.
2: You had the the novelization for a few of the movies we watched on the podcast yes. this season, right? Yeah, it's, I, my mom
1: just bought them. And so they're just
2: around. Because I was going to say, Alan Dean Foster wrote the novelization for this one, too. And he wrote Last Starfighter and Clash of the Titans novelizations. So he's written <laughs> three funny. of the novelizations from this season. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so, what did, do you guys have any recollections of how you liked Crawl back in the day?
3: I liked it quite well. You know, I mean, obviously it looks very dated mm-hmm. now, but it is a solid hero's journey fantasy story. I mean, it's not <laughs> anything more than that, but it's good at yeah. what it it's It does what yeah. it says yeah. on yeah. the tin.
2: Yeah, I, re- I remember catching it and I remember vivid, like certain scenes stood out to me. I remember feeling that something was off, but I still really enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. I guess I still feel that way. But like, like it's it was one of those movies I watched a lot because it was like on cable a lot, I think, when I was growing mm-hmm. up.
4: Yeah, and uh, this has been one of those uh, foggy, forlorn, mythical movies that just kind of floated up from the first floor of a dorm beneath me. And uh, I think we might have smelled Kroll before I even knew it was a thing. But I, you know, my buddies who like bad movies, mostly hipsters, to be honest, to be a little on the nose, um, they put me <laughs> onto it. And honestly, I don't really remember the first time I saw it, but I thought it was hilarious. And the second time I was dead sober... And the third time, who knows? But I have a lot of interesting thoughts about this uh, mangled fantasy space epic. It's fantastic. Well,
3: see, that, that's the thing right there. Um, I was like, I watched the uh, the Good Bad Flicks review of it just to to make sure I was fully refreshed. And he kept, he's the kind of guy that says uh, sci-fi fantasy. I'm like, no, those are two separate things. Sometimes it's the same umbrella, but you know star wars is sci-fi broadly speaking this is fantasy there's like no sci-fi elements but the elements producer in this. and the
2: director have both uh, gone on record multiple times saying that they they started off as a fantasy and they wanted to add sci-fi elements to it after they went into production
0: well, <laughs> <Right>. well <laughs> there's
4: a lot of pew pew pew's and lasers i think that's where in the uh, yeah. and also the uh, the sound design it kind of reeks of like I don't know if this came out before E T but it's almost like an E T type beat it's very uh the sounds like it has beautiful beautiful shots very natural I love if this was just a fantasy movie not to jump ahead but I'm just saying they they had this weird polish this weird post edit it seems um like you mentioned. Where it, it is a fan, it is a hero story. That's why, that's what I love about it. It's just all this other shit, these weird sci-fi effects is, uh, stuff.
2: Yeah, the, like, the, even that opening shot of, like, the, the, the whatever, the Kroll, like, planet or the tower thing flying through space was supposed to mimic uh, Star Wars. It was, like, totally. Yeah, mim- it's, like, absolutely. it was a Star yeah, And it was, like, yeah, I mean, and they added the laser effects and they, they added a bunch of elements to make it more sci-fi, to distance themselves from the fantasy because Dragon Slayer had bombed super hard right before that.
3: <laughs> Cause it was originally called the Dragons of Crawl, despite the fact that it had yeah. you no know, dragons. And then
2: originally the 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 Dark Tower thing was Crawl, and then it then they changed it to the planet. Like they changed that for some arbitrary reason.
4: There was like a dragon's eyeball for a second in there. I thought the beast. Uh, that's, the that's beast was supposed
2: to be a dragon. I totally at missed point, that. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, let's get into it, Tim.
1: What did we watch
2: this week? We watched Krull. Uh, So according to IMDb, it's, uh, well, the the description is, a prince and a fellowship of companions set out to rescue his bride from a fortress of alien invaders who have arrived on their home planet. Uh, I also wanted to mention that the tagline for this movie is hilariously long. It's, uh, beyond our time, beyond our universe, there is a planet designed by alien invaders where a young king must rescue his love from the clutches of the beast or risk the death of his world. (laughs) Wait, it was designed?
3: All right, that's not even a tagline. I'm not sure where something went badly, badly wrong, but that is by definition not a tagline. Yeah, it's... Also, it's yeah.
2: terrible. We so got
4: that on a fortune cookie recently. I could be <laughs>
0: wrong. Was, uh... It
3: would like on a series of fortune cookies. One piece uh, of paper, string a whole bag that. of fortune cookies together. <laughs> <laughs> How can you? They're so crispy and light.
2: Yes, it was directed by Peter Yates and written by Stanford Sherman. Uh, stars Ken Marshall, Will Anthony, Freddie Jones, and many more, including Liam Neeson. Uh, so it says it was a budget of 47 million, which was the biggest budget of a film at that time, I believe. And it had an opening weekend of five and a half million it went on to gross yeah. almost 17 in the U S so it was a uh, pretty, pretty bad, it didn't pretty, go well. pretty, pretty poorly received.
3: Well, part of it is when that opening weekend right. fell, it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to, but it ended up coming out three days after.
2: Which is, I, I read that, but it's funny because the Return of the Jedi has a release date of May 25th. So it's two months technically, I guess, in, at least in the U.S. it fell out behind. But yeah. they were trying to get in front of Return of the Jedi. And then they had too, some, too many post-production problems with effects to. The...
3: Yeah, and I think they should have, they should have just sat yeah. on it for another month. Because there's no way you can survive yeah. against, yeah, you know, peak <laughs> right. Star Wars.
2: Uh, then it so yeah, it came in 44th that year in the box office, just behind All the Right Moves huh. and just ahead of Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, which <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. That is I a know, low like bar it to just clear, barely past it. That's hilariously crazy.
3: Yeah, yeah, but which one of them are we still talking true. about 30 that's years true. later? Yeah. Uh-huh, well, I mean, All go. the Right
1: Moves is pretty good. Yeah, it had uh, Craig T. Nelson, Tom Cruise. Uh, I forgot to put in the, the top releases for 1983 of course his return of the jedi had about a quarter of a billion dollars probably more worldwide yeah. followed by tootsie flash Dance, trading places amazing movie mm-hmm. war games octopussy no okay so this is interesting and I, and I didn't remember this but they released two different james bond films this year
2: right well say so ne- yep. never say never again it was an unofficial bond film technically because it wasn't produced by broccoli and it's like that wasn't produced by the, 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 the production company because it was Connery's way to try and come back to bond after he said he would never do it again. And it was directed by Irvin Kirshner, the director of empire strikes back and actually has a lot of the same crew overlapping from crawl, which is crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, because they,
3: well, not so crazy. No, I was going to okay. say,
2: because they, they shot
1: this in the UK on the same sounds on the double, double Oh seven soundstage. At the time, they 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 shot a lot of blockbusters in the UK. Tim,
0: mm-hmm. why
1: did they do that? Was it just the money exchange rate?
2: Well, just I mean, just part partially, but partially it was, it was Pinewood Studios was like the biggest like production house. Like it had the, some of the biggest stages in the world, so they had like all these huge, huge stages that in room that people could build sets in. So I mean, it made sense that you have a big production that needs like insane. Production value or a big stage, you are going to Pinewood to do it because that's the that's the best to go to.
3: Yeah, the spaces are so big; it really allows for building significant sets. I think was it Labyrinth or Legend that they were filming there and shit
2: fire I think it was Legend, and it was also a lot of the same crew from Carol worked on Legend, so it would make sense that they're all probably working out of Pinewood.
1: Are these the same guys that rebelled against James Cameron and Aliens?
2: Uh, maybe I don't, I don't, you're saying like I mean, just with the effects. Are, crew?
1: I, yeah. Well, well, you know, like, uh, James Cameron, uh, did aliens in the UK and he, and he used like Ridley Scott's old crew,
2: right? I don't, you know, well, I guess it, it legend. Yeah. It was some, there's going to be some overlap probably with legend yeah. for sure.
3: I know that on, during the filming of the abyss, someone finally got fed up enough with his dictatorial attitude that they, uh, put LSD in in the lobster bisque on the craft services table. So they had to shut down filming for the rest of the day because everybody was tripping balls.
2: Probably Steve Johnson. He seems like he would do something like that. He was with the effects artist in the abyss. He's a total was that supposed
4: to be revenge or paid vacation? (laughs) I'm slightly confused, but yeah,
3: well, it's vacation for the for the the hourly people and revenge on the salaried ones. That's
1: funny. But I don't know. Like James Cameron is such a unique person i don't know if what it would really do i, I wouldn't want to chance it because he might think he'd be he might take it a whole different way he'd work even harder
2: i mean i can't even imagine trying like like tripping balls not knowing you're about to trip balls but then also being in that like environment with james cameron <laughs> that'd, be, yeah. that'd be crazy would be <laughs> worried
4: he'd take me down to the marianas trench and just let my body out of that <laughs> little thing
0: come back <laughs> up the surface yeah. But he's uh, intense. He gets, true, he gets results, true.
4: man. True lies. That's all I need to know. You know? <laughs> <it>. Yeah. <laughs>
2: all right. Sorry. Continue on, Tim. Uh. Well, I mean, I guess we. I guess yeah. We started getting into some of the production stuff. There was like I like I was saying that there was some lots of changes as they were going that didn't the, the movie the end result did not match the script in a lot of ways. Um, there's definitely major changes that they did. And I, like I was saying that they had some some serious problems with some of the effects works. They had some serious problems with like they, they decided to overdub multiple actors without their consent, which is yes. crazy.
3: Yes, stupid because because a studio head thought that people wouldn't go to see the movie if the unknown actress was an unknown right. British actress and not an unknown american actress so they really unconvincingly overdubbed her with uh, an american and it was just it, it was far from the best adr yeah, i've ever seen pretty
2: terrible really and you hear some if you look at those, some of the some of the behind the scenes of her performance it's actually pretty good but they just completely overdub her like the lead lissa whatever um with like a pretty poor uh adr and they also overdubbed uh, robbie coltrane the 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 Hagrid, whatever, who's in the bandits crew with Liam Neeson. Uh there's just they just they just arbitrarily, it seems like, did that one. I don't really understand what, what the whole purpose of overdubbing him was. Uh, but then even Liss's original her original character had much more of an arc where like she was being seduced by the beast and the beast was like trying to kind of almost like brainwash her at some point, where like there was a there's a point like in the original script the the glaive was like uses like a psychic tuning fork where they could communicate. And she built her own glaive so that she can communicate. And she was actually bringing them to the, the original, the castle. Um, And then the beast found out. So he pushed her deeper. Okay. So yeah, that would have been, been, way been cool. awesome. like,
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. I am super annoyed that yeah. she just got like, is that, is that fridging? What Pretty is, much. She basically got stripped, stripped down to completely pointless, pathetic damsel in distress. Who gets mouthy at one point yeah. and that's about it it's like when i showed princess bride to somebody 10 years younger than me and she couldn't tolerate buttercup because like oh you're the on generation well yeah.
2: she
4: she was yeah. key no in the acquisition of the property of the other kingdom i mean let's give credit where it's due the movie does start off with a <laughs> a thrashing romantic uh exposition about why we must be doing right. this. so <laughs>
2: <laughs> but the, th- that was an arranged marriage by, t- by the two kingdoms to get them together. So they didn't really know each other, supposedly. A and in the original script, it was because her mom was in love with his dad, and they 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 couldn't fall in love together because they were had arranged oh. marriages. So t- the best next best thing was to hook them up.
0: <laughs> that's amazing.
2: That's
3: <laughs> okay, well that needs, that, that's that needs that's so time great. on the couch. Yeah.
1: That's
2: a little bit of expectation.
1: Well um, <laughs> ahead of its <laughs> time yes. for sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm all for like stage moms living oh. vicariously through their kids and stuff, but
1: Yeah. Me... Interesting tidbit, the American actress that overdubbed all those lines is Lindsay Krause, who is in the movie Slapshot yeah. as the as the wife of that one hockey player mm-hmm. or whatever whatever his name.
2: Yeah, she's like the lead okay. one of the leads in Slapshot. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yep, and you've probably seen her on. If you're a big Law and Order fan, you've seen her uh, a, a number of yeah. times. The judge. Her.
1: Shit. Oh, and SVU. I mean, sh- I mean, there's yeah. like 23 seasons of that.
3: <laughs> yeah, I remember back when that was good. Yeah. <laughs> After Munch left, you know, I mean, it was bad enough losing losing Elliot, but yeah. Uh, you know. Never <laughs> mind. Yeah, so, so, so,
1: so Tim, like, it sounds like this whole thing was just. This is what happens when a suit is like, I want my fantasy movie.
2: Well, it was, it it was, I mean, partially, it was partially the producer's fault for some of the decisions, but some of it was like, even the director, Peter Yates, like who turned the script down originally because I mean, so Peter Yates is a weird director have picked for this because he's, I mean, he's most known for like doing bullet, and yeah, and then like, I mean, he did breaking away and I mean, he's not really like somebody you think of for like this kind of epic sci fi movie. I mean, he's a he's a fine director, but he also did the deep, which was like a Peter Benchley, uh, the second Peter Benchley novel that was adapted after the success of Jaws. And so the original the first draft of the of the cult crawl script involved a lot of underwater sequences and specifically an underwater sequence that involved dolphins. I have no idea how that in, it was ever connected. <laughs> so he turned it down being like, I'm not dealing with water again. And then that changed. And then I guess while the production was going, he kept, he kept also putting in notes of changes that they wanted to make to try and slim it down. But they like still left in like the crazy long mountain climbing sequence. And like, I mean, some of the other stuff that like went on pretty long for, without some of the i mean there's some simple things that they could have done to have like that was written in the original script that wouldn't have taken much that were just completely cut out um another one was that the uh the the quicksand sequence wasn't actually quicksand it was something called the swamp of betrayal so that when you touch the water you are tricked into thinking that everyone around you is against you and so there was like a whole sequence where they got in there and they all started kind of fighting with each other but then the the uh the slayers showed up and then the slayers touched the water and then they started killing each other and then like was it like, able like to, to pull them enough out to like like there was like a much more elaborate sequence with that kind of that going on and there was like the Robbie Coltrane character I guess betrayed them at that point. There was a whole other like weird story with that which is pretty fascinating and would have been cool but I guess it also would have derailed the movie at that point.
1: <laughs> right. It's, uh, it sounds like this this original script is very complex to try to pull off too, like all this kind of stuff, all this backstory, weird kind of significant things, and they picked the person to do this who's Writing credentials and I, I don't wanna to be too judgmental, <laughs> yeah, but it was uh writing writing for Batman and Any Which Way You Can, yeah, which uh which was uh Clint Eastwood in an orangutan. Yes. The, the sequel.
2: <laughs> it was any which way it was the sequel to any which way but yes. we yes. loose. So it was like oh, <laughs> So he did a sequel. a sequel to that movie. And he also did Ice Pirates, which is another like cable staple after this.
3: Oh have you done have we have you done
2: oh that's no, amazing. amazing I don't think I've ever watched that. So that.
3: Oh.
2: oh man,
3: okay, see next, next season. <laughs> Next season, because I made my husband sit down and watch this. Yeah,
4: you know, oh. y'all are still together. If he after still wants that? to know why.
3: Honey, <laughs> 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 if you had any idea what he's put up yeah. with us far, I you would realize that ain't nothing.
2: uh but the, but so, one of the I would say one of the other more interesting people that was attached to this movie that or worked on the movie is the cinematographer. Uh, his name is Peter. Oh, I, I'm going to butcher this, but S- Savinsky. But he's the guy who shot Empire Strikes Back. And he's also like uh, David Lynch's or um, no, David Cronenberg's guy after Dead Ringers on. He did every single David Cronenberg film like he's got a crazy, crazy filmography, but he turned down a new hope. He was approached by George Lucas to do Star Wars and he turned it down because he said he didn't he couldn't deal with special effects. He didn't know special effects. And so then recommended the the, the cinematographer who shot A New Hope who then fought with Lucas a ton because he kept calling them all amateurs. And so Lucas was like, no, I'm hiring you for the next movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And also we have a return of the, of what you want, the music guy. Yeah. James Horner. Yeah. James Horner is back. The music music man. (laughs)
3: You put respect on his name. I noticed. Yeah. I noticed back to back appearances. We get to talk about how amazing James Horner is. Uh, is and his body of work and how much better movie scoring would yeah, be if we just hadn't lost how, him. how uh,
4: him and the uh, aforementioned cinematographer provided really just a spine for this movie to stand on, to be tolerable at its runtime. I mean, I kept mm-hmm. kind of zoning out and then I go, damn, that's a beautiful shot. You know, it looks like some <laughs> Lord of the Rings type stuff, but... There's the amazing crazy shots, set pieces. Yeah, the set pieces. Like yeah. I I thoroughly enjoyed just about everything that like the studio somehow didn't mangle, you know, where it's like one person's <laughs> job was to make a beautiful score. And uh what did you say his name was Harden? I apologize. I might have misheard Horner. James Horner, Horner. Horner. Well, Horner. And he nailed Horner. it. I mean that's what I was saying. It, it's it's magical. It's just it's more of a fantasy vibe to me. And I like uh, I like kind of Moxie's lens to look at this movie where i kind of just ignore all the pew pews and the laser effects and just view it as a, a good hero story that, that's a good take yeah
3: well because i mean it's really not much more than just the hero's journey and a cyclops right. shows well, up. I,
1: I, yeah i like i always liked the cyclops yeah he's always
3: well and that was a, a really cool angle they had all together that the cyclops is, as a race had traded one of their eyes for the ability to see the future, but the only future they're allowed to see is their own death. Yeah. But if they try to escape that death, you know, it's a good death that they foresee, but if they try to escape it, a terrible death awaits them, you know, and that, that, that's pretty cool mm-hmm. world building right there. And bonus fact, even though the actor playing the, uh, the Cyclops was six, seven he was hanging out with Liam Neeson and some other guys, so they actually put him had uh mm. he was wearing lifts. He had elevator shoes on so that he I would like look how, even taller.
4: I'm sorry, let me just hop in here real quick if you don't mind, Bob. Uh, I like how we didn't mention Liam Neeson until now because he's such a selling point on the uh the aftermarket, you know. And
3: I, Well, because as soon as we mention Liam Neeson, we're gonna mention his schwanz, and then we're gonna mention Steve Gutenberg, and then the whole thing is just
4: That's why I'm here, Marx. I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Steve Gutenberg's Schwanz came up a couple of times oh, so yeah. yes. before you got here. Yeah,
1: it's a it's an ongoing thing. <laughs>
2: Literally, it's a thing. I think
3: every time, every well, time
2: it It's, it's funny that you mentioned Steve Gutenberg because the the writer also wrote the Man Who Wasn't There in 3D, which is the Invisible Man. Steve Gutenberg movie. The same year. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's oh, funny how man. small
4: the industry actually is when you pay attention to who works with who. And in some yeah. ways, you know, it seems like it.
3: Well, I mean, if, if you look at voice acting, you're like, wow, it's this six people who do everything,
0: mm-hmm.
3: which is one reason I'm not getting e- even interested in getting into animation or anything like that. I'm like, no, because the market, the market is cornered. I'm going to stick to like audio books. Well, Moxie, not to derail the conversation,
4: but if you were offered a role in an animated movie, you would be depriving children of a great voice. So I'm just saying, consider it.
3: Well, I thank you. But unfortunately, uh, I, I okay. lack the range um, I don't do I don't do character voices uh, at all well. So I would know I would need okay. to step back from that opportunity, it, or ask for like tiny bit characters who, whose performance can't really over can't like really affect acting. someone's overall enjoyment of the piece. Yeah, like like a little side character that's not going <laughs> to okay. hurt anything if I do it badly.
0: That's I- I that's more I'm of my all comfort about that zone. Swagger. You know?
4: I'm just trying to swag you up. That's all. You got you got the skills to just. <laughs>
3: I have I have stripped in front of George R. R R Martin. I have all the swagger I need. I am married to a man who did a strip tease as George R R, R. Martin in front of George R. R R Martin. The house is just up to the it was Built uh, on swag. I, yeah,
4: I, I, that was a swag tsunami. I'm wiped out for a bit, Moxie. I, I couldn't handle yeah. it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else you got, Tim? Um, I guess the guy who animated the spider, Steve Archer, was all, the guy I mentioned in the the Clash of the Titans episode. He was the guy who was uh, Ray Harryhausen's assistant, the Ray, like the only assistant to Ray Harryhausen, pretty much uh, like uh, up until Clash of the Titans. He never he only worked alone, so he took that knowledge and brought it to that Crystal Spider sequence. And the other another interesting thing was that the Crystal Spider was originally supposed to have the hourglass, I guess, inside of it, and then it was when it was agitated. It would start to fill with the red sand and turn the spider would turn red, and then that was like when you'd see like the sand coming out. But they like changed that in the script, I guess, which is interesting, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense based on like how that whole sequence plays out.
1: Well, Bob, how how
4: does this drastically different, significantly better-sounding version of this story compared to the uh, I'm sure amazing novelization that you consumed as a
1: a youth? Yeah, do you remember it at all? No, I mean it was pretty like step for step. I mean it was better in the fact that you didn't have to like
2: watch the guy who played Ergo <laughs> at all, like he's not around. He, um, he was originally supposed to be a, a little person in the in the, the script that character. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I say the only, no, I, only thing I, I found out about the novelization was that the Slayers were corpses that were being r- driven around by parasites in their heads, so that those things that came out. Were mm-hmm. like, they would go... So you, you couldn't really kill the Slayers because then they would just inhabit another body. It's like yeah. Star Trek too. Um Which is interesting.
3: Can we talk about the grossly inconsistent effectiveness <laughs> of the Slayers? Because apparently they've been able to conquer entire worlds, but they're they're like every other faceless uh, sci-fi or fantasy enemy. They're like stormtroopers or, or all the soldiers in Aeon Flux. Yeah. They can't shoot for shit. They're just bullet magnets, yeah. you know, essentially. Like, how did you conquer every other planet. It's like Skeletor's that army in
1: Masters of the Universe too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like they wiped out the entire wedding party really quickly, but they can't take down like Ten, ten dudes.
3: But you can take them down with a chair or a tablecloth because that happens during that scene. That one gets taken out with a tablecloth, and another one gets taken out with a chair. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know. Like this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what uh, what's going on with the slayers.
3: Maybe they have like a team and B team and the slayers, and we, you know, we're seeing the B team, especially like
4: the globe trotters and whoever those other assholes are that they always stomp up on. You know. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Now, now, Tim, was it how true is it that this was also supposed to be like a D and D? thing supposedly they were in. they were
2: trying to do a tie-in with a DD game but it never got off the ground from, from what i could find
1: yeah it's like gary guy, guy was like no that didn't really happen they didn't approach tsr but i saw a whole bunch of stuff yeah i think like, it's like
2: i think the producers had a lot of grand ideas of how they were going to market this movie they thought they thought it was going to be huge like star wars and they could okay. sell action figures and they could sell glaive toys and all kinds of stuff like that
3: Oh yeah, they yeah. had all they had all that laid out. There was a game for the Atari 2600 game. the whole 9 and then it came out mm-hmm. came out right against yeah. Star Wars and you just
2: cannot Like we saw with Clash sort of, of the out. Titans like when they couldn't get their they made some toys and they couldn't even get on shelves because Star Wars was just fit, like buying up all the shelves in the toy stores so they like they they even manufactured toys and couldn't get them out there so Curl had no chance.
0: Ooh.
1: Well, Crawl also didn't have a chance with critics. It <laughs> sounds like they got only a 35% fresh uh rating from the critics on RottenTomatoes.com. 51% audience score. It's really not a consensus. So let's let's talk about what we really thought of the movie. So let's start with you, y'all, y'all. All right.
4: I feel like there's a great movie just hidden underneath, you know, layers of unnecessary decoration. So if you watch movies like I do, which is half watch them after you've seen them once, I just like to have something familiar on in the background. I can look away when it's pew-pewing and I can wait till the score picks up and watch it. So it's a good movie for my type of movie watching, which is social and loose. But um, it's not for fans of, you know, uh, whatever a good cinema is, kino, film or whatever they call it. Um, so, I mean, I like it. I recommend it to anybody who just doesn't give a shit with two hours on their hands.
1: Uh, how about
2: you, Tim? Uh, I I wouldn't say I like it, but I really appreciate it. I think it's, it's definitely swinging for the fences. And it's got, like I was saying before, it looks really good. It's got a great score. It's got some amazing set pieces to it. I just feel this the as simple and straightforward the plot is. It feels overly convoluted at times. Um, I feel I felt like re, on the rewatch, I was just feeling sort of just worn down by the end of by the movie. So I don't know. There's there's definitely a lot of things I like about it, but I, I don't know. Say, I wouldn't say that I like love it by any means.
1: And then Maxie, it's time for you to jump to a uh, defense.
3: We should look at it in its original context. 1983 was a long time ago. Yeah, it definitely has flaws, but it was it was a good movie. I do view it, you know, with a certain amount of nostalgia, so that obviously taints my um, impression of it. It could definitely have been edited a fair amount tighter, <laughs> for sure. Like, yes, he's climbing a mountain. We get it. We got it five <laughs> minutes ago. Get up the mountain. Uh, the glaive should have been introduced well it could have been introduced at the beginning of the movie but he shouldn't have acquired it until later if he wasn't going to use it it's like Chekhov's gun except we're just carrying Chekhov's like, gun the entire time it would make time, sense if
2: it was used for that you know? psychic thing but otherwise it's just yeah yeah
3: no that was cool and but also you know the princess <laughs> yeah, right. would have agency and what would be the point of that but yeah um but maybe, you know, have it like, okay, here's this first difficult journey to get to the glaive. And now here's the second difficult journey to get to the monster in Brigadoom. you know, which for those who aren't theater buffs is a town that disappears and reappears in a different place. And anyway, <laughs> old references, you know, so I think they just introduce the glaive way too early in the movie. And then we get to, to use it once and it gets, yeah, you
1: know, I gotta say, like, I have <laughs> to say it. that it, I was really almost angry when. Um, what's his name, Colwyn comes down, he climbs up for like 10 minutes of the movie, finds this thing, comes back down, and he's like ready to start practicing it, and like shitty Gandalf is like, nope, 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 you just use it, and you'll know how to use it. It's like, that doesn't seem like It's not no, a good no, plan. No, yeah,
3: yeah to, to not to practice or familiarize yourself with the weapon. The weapon uh, that they had some difficulty with on the prop side of things, getting the knives to uh, pop yeah. out you know properly synchronized and they ended up Mm -hmm. just using rubber bands and a little little like a almost like a rubber rubber band gun yeah just one little one little switch to loose all the rubber bands so that the knives would pop out
1: that's funny but
3: sometimes the simple ways are the best ways
1: it's like they 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 tried to sell the glaive so much in terms of on it's on the cover it's on everything Mm -hmm. but you only see it like once you know, he's got like, it on his belt the whole time. Yeah, I guess. So. <laughs> true. He has like, isn't there the medallion
2: that he's wearing too? Mm-hmm,
1: yeah, that has the glaive. I guess. I guess it's there, but it's sort of it's like, a... why don't you just take a couple throws on the mountain?
2: And there was it. There was again. There was a training sequence in the script. Like there was supposed to be a training sequence where he learned to use the glaive. <laughs>
3: yeah and does, doesn't didn't he like originally use the glaive to kill the yeah, spider yeah there was a
0: there's a Are very they, intense
2: they
4: uh out? 80s montage sequence which instructed children subliminally to buy the glaive or to get their parents <laughs> to buy the glaive i mean it has big
3: yeah. yeah they were it wasn't subliminal back well, in the see, 80s it was,
1: born was in 90s, subliminal
0: so. it was. yeah
3: Man. Oh, super liminal. Oh, no, no. See, it was in the early 1980s that the regulations about children's entertainment were rolled mm-hmm. way, way, way back as to how educational children's programming had to be. And that opened the door for things like He-Man Transformers and all of these, these things where you are never certain which came first, the mm-hmm. toy or the cartoon? Because guess what? They happened at the exact same time for the exact same reason. The toy is there to keep the show going. The show is there to keep the show. That's you
1: funny. They sure weren't singing about the Constitution anymore.
0: <laughs> well, they kind of <laughs> dropped
4: sure. the ball. I'm getting big, uh like I was eighty eight or eighty nine, the wizard with the power glove energy from the glaive, like mm-hmm. just such a dropped ball on the merch. Like the whole plot was twisted around this object. And who the hell wants this mangled fidget spinner? Except I would have wanted one, but <laughs>
2: Well, they just end up boosting Nerf sales, I guess. Because
3: <laughs> <you go>. <laughs> I had, if if you have the three prong Nerf boomerang, you want a five prong one, obviously. That's and the knives
2: go in the
4: end of it, of course. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Hell yeah! Because oh, this because we were still throwing right. lawn darts at this period in history. So yeah, this was very much still in the free range kid. If you get hurt, don't mm-hmm. bleed on the carpet. Era of parenting. Oh no, we would absolutely have had glaives with irresponsibly <laughs> sharp edges on them.
4: I'd love to get this uh, this view into what it was like to, you know, organic nerddom, Not not how I grew up, all plugged up into the web. <laughs> you guys really had to suffer to be nerds, and I respect that because <laughs> it was too easy for me. I, I respect it.
3: Oh yeah, we had to go to other people's houses mm. to watch. to the library <laughs> yeah. to find magazines, yeah. and it, and it, and if you wanted your own copy of it, you had to hook. You had to take your VCR over to their house. And, and hook it up to theirs, and you had to like find something to use to prop the two VCRs apart because they get way too hot. Maybe <laughs> yeah. this is just my experience because I've no, no. a lot of blank stares here. <laughs> no, no. Um, so you could see, so you, could, you could dub it down, and, and your copy's gonna be shit, even if you're using a brand oh, yeah. new yeah. tape. You know, not the one you've been taping your cartoons on or the one your mom's been using for her soaps. that She swears she's going to go back and catch up on, and she never ever does. But God forbid you tape over it, you know. And it's your, your copy is going to be awful, it's going to be green, it's going to roll, <laughs> but you have it. And now I remember
1: my, my copy of Star Wars was uh, taped from the TV, like with all the commercials and stuff. Mm-hmm. But we we stopped it at the commercial and started right back up. Uh-huh. And as a consequence, it's like the Beastmaster. I forgot about huge. Chunks of the movie for years because I would just always watch my VHS copy
2: of Star Wars. Yeah, I remember stuff like I, that. But I was so pumped. We got like a wired clicker that would attach to our VCR oh, yeah, you, really? so you could pause and I like, could pause yeah. instead of having to get up and, and pause and unpause because oh. you don't forget for a minute and then like you'd miss a part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, there's some.
3: Oh, I was a master. I was a master on that commercial <laughs> yeah. editing recording pause. It, they were so slick you'd have thought I did it in post. Yeah,
1: that's uh, that's sometimes it's too bad. Like some of the analog stuff just was a lot more fun. Like when you talk about mixtapes or VHS, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. But I definitely understand what you're saying, Moxie, about it, and also everybody else. It, you had to really work hard for whatever you're really into. Like I remember having to drive like at least an hour to the cool record store where I would just basically go and just look at like record labels and mm-hmm. be like oh yeah they're good so i'm gonna get this or you know like you mm-hmm. sit there and you just read up all, all this stuff and you have to drive so far mm-hmm. you know i didn't really even read many comics because th- nobody read comics in my or at least i didn't know anybody there and there wasn't a comic book store anywhere near there wasn't any bookstores you know so i totally yeah so back that, in the day y'all y'all the struggle my was real
3: nephews my nieces and nephews will never experience trying to go to the bathroom real quick and hearing their sibling yell. It's
1: the <laughs> <Yeah. gone!"> best. <laughs> okay, so what is some of our favorite parts of this movie, Tim?
2: Uh I say that when the the whatever Changeling guy like in the swamp takes over like the seer and like, like when he like opens his eyes and they're black and then he like ends up like he morphs in like that was total kinder drama for me. Like that freaked me out when I was a kid. Oh man. Like I, just, I forgot about that sequence. And then when that started, I'm like, oh my God, this is like so burned into my memory. <laughs> How about you, y'all y'all?
4: I really like the sequence where the, uh, the band of bandits meets their King and, uh, it's just so like, it's so seamless. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, we're an army now. Like, let's go. And uh, I was just like, okay, once, once that happened in the movie, I was reminded of how this is going to go, you know, to drive the narrative they're trying to push. So I just kind of sat back and buckled up, but just a lot of like things where you can't question it to enjoy the movie. Just gotta say, okay, okay. That's the world they're in.
1: And Moxie.
3: Well, bonus fact, uh, coming off of Tim's about the quicksand, which didn't that seem like it was going to be a problem in your life going forward as a kid in the eighties? That quicksand was like in everything. Like, yeah, I never, I have yet to need to stop, drop, and roll, and it's not for (laughs) lack of trying on my part. You know, I've survived two house fires already, but uh, they, they, the quicksand parts of the set looked so much like the safe to walk on parts of the set. They took a, a count, someone actually kept track of this 17 crew members fell into the quicksand (laughs) before they had uh, finished doing that sequence
1: oh and that's yeah i totally did
3: there are lots of you know like
1: in the 80s like there's so much quicksand everywhere and i've never run across one maybe i've lived in like i've lived in the midwest and texas so maybe (laughs) not exactly the quicksand
3: and also no one's ever walked up and offered me (laughs) drugs that That was the other thing that seemed like it was going to Going to happen any minute now in the nineteen eighties.
1: Well, that actually did happen, but that was. <laughs> Still yeah. waiting. She
4: yeah. yeah, didn't follow the dead around or anything.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, so no, I tried to open another tab. Who's the up.
1: worst character in the story? And I am just going to say, mine, of course, is Ergo. <laughs> God, I hate him. He was just such a bad actor, and I don't know. It's just. <sighs>
3: Oh, see, no, because he—he was what I was. I, I love his introduction. Just
2: flying his, out of the sky. This
3: ridiculously pompous introduction. <sighs> uh, short in stature, tall in power, narrow of purpose, and wide <sighs> of vision. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just the the hubris of it all. Uh, and I don't—I th- don't know that he was meant to be all that likable because he's sort of the—you know—he's the the comic relief, but not in a plucky sort of. Enjoyable way in a in a very punchable yeah, exactly. kind very of comic relief way, you know. And in that, he fulfills the brief uh, completely. I'd say that the the fire mares were just just everything to do with the with the fire mares. Uh, they worked uh,
1: hard for that, though. When, when, unfortunately, they went throughout England to find sixteen Clydesdales the, the the mm-hmm. in there and trained them for months.
2: Yeah. to do this. Yeah, it's crazy the amount of work. Uh,
3: yeah, and it, and it, and it was awesome. And uh, the the fire mares would canonically be able to run 145 miles per hour. If that's one of my questions, which would be really
0: this again. uncomfortable. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, my brother, if this keeps happening, I suggest you to up your question game yeah. <laughs> or stop asking <laughs> if I wanted to show because I have found the X factor. But uh, yeah, so they had um, to get all the different effects for the fire mares running. They had animated horse hooves with fire and then they would film horses uh, on a treadmill. I hope I haven't locked cool. up on your screen. Uh, there we go. Okay. Did, did you lose me at
4: all? I think oh the fact and was they had just, real smoke. Oh,
3: I can go back to the beginning. God knows. But okay. Uh, it was really yeah. cool how they composited the things together to get the Uh, I keep wanting to call them nightmares, but the the fire mares uh, effect, because they had animated horse hooves with actual flames shooting out of them. They had smoke canisters on horses that they were filming. And then they also had horses running on treadmills, giant treadmills in front of green screens so they could get footage of the legs and then composite all that together. And then the horses just fly at one point, like friggin' reindeer. And we don't talk about that, but okay. I don't know why we couldn't just, they're a bit, a bit like the eagles from the Lord of the Rings. And like, why didn't we just do this in the first place? And why didn't you just take <laughs> us all the way there? I also had the same complaint about Moana. Like, why didn't the ocean just take her to Tafiti if <laughs> It was so sentient. Yeah. But, uh, but we don't think about those things. Or at least we don't talk about them.
0: <laughs>
1: well, I guess that's true. You know that's that's one of the things I kept on thinking about. Like this was just like a really shitty Lord of the Rings. During the whole time I rewatched this. like I was talking about, like shitty Gandalf as yadir you got shitty Sauron.
3: It's the hero. It's the hero's journey. It is just it's the hero's journey. Then that's one yeah. of the, and you have that that's that person who gives the hero their quest. You know, and the mentor, which can be one one character or two. Uh, the Overly Sarcastic Productions YouTube channel, she does a really good, uh, one of the hosts, read does a, a really good rundown of the hero's journey. And then you'll be like, yes, this is 75% of all of the media I've ever taken in is this same plot.
4: Well, you know, unlocking that uh, matrix or whatever you want to call it, that schema, uh, it, it hurts as a musician, too, once you just start to see patterns, you know. <laughs> You got to really selectively ignore things, or else you start to lose it a bit. Hmm. Just noticing everything has three—you know—the same three chords or the same plot arcs. I I I hear you fully.
1: Is there anything else that we want to get into? into uh, before we get into the questions, before Moxie answers them all, <laughs> we talked
2: about uh, how
1: sucky Ergo was.
2: I, I say that there's there's two funny things I caught on this watch was yeah. one that when they're, they're jumping onto the fire mares, one of the stunt guys bounces off the, the horse and like totally like biffs it onto the ground and this left <laughs> it in. Which I thought was great, and then there's the- well,
3: it also underscores how hard it is to catch these enormous horses. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: and then there's that one shot when I can't remember which character it is, but when they're in, they get into the castle, and he's like, he needs to do the somersault across like the passageway to like to avoid fire. But like when he does his somersault, he like ends up in the middle of the hallway, and then still has to crawl by. Yeah. But they still left. They like didn't give him another take. They just like left that in, which I thought was like kind of amazing. And, and I
3: always hear Sigourney Weaver asking. Does the rolling help? (laughs)
2: Right, like I'm not sure what that's supposed to do, but yeah, yeah.
1: Can Marshall really do anything after this, or did a bunch of people just like see their careers just implode or not really go
2: anywhere? I mean, he did some stuff, but nothing of really of note. I feel like this is this was his. He didn't really have any other leading roles that I'm aware of.
1: I know that Freddie Jones, who played uh, Shitty Gandalf, went on to do Dune. Uh, next year the next year he was through for a mm-hmm. which by the way i'm very excited about the new dune coming out mm-hmm. i'm a big Dune fan, but uh so he managed to get through a little
2: bit well he he had a pretty solid career as well yeah. I mean, he's like an elephant man and you know he's in I mean, he's in a lot of stuff he did a bunch
1: of like british series and stuff and i think ken marshall after this he had uh a part in like deep space nine but not like a big like a recurring role type of thing. Yeah. You know, so but let's get into some questions. Okay. All right. So you got the one about the fire mares. So that just <laughs> say Moxie got one point. All right. Th- this one was pretty funny, I thought. In 1983, Columbia uh, was doing a full court press to promote the film. What was their most bizarre idea?
3: Oh, I cannot wait to hear because I love Questionable marketing ideas. I did a whole episode about like just really bad ideas. Like people were uh, mailing brass knuckles to to uh, people in the press advertising a video game. Except those are illegal in a lot of states. <laughs> <laughs> One person thought it would be a keen idea to uh, to give their customer their clients uh, a dozen donuts, which is great. Except they mailed them.
1: Oh, and they're all just like smashed battered. and moldy,
3: yeah. and yeah, that. Did. So. I did the best I could to stall for you guys. You got any ideas?
4: I have a a real issue. Nobody's brought up the great scandalous 1983, the proto viral attempt at marketing that Burger King had, where if a child received... Uh, the golden glade within their toy box they actually were instantly put into an arranged marriage that would happen when the children were 18 it was not as popular as you would think um,
3: no you could only it was it was only even applicable in the lower 48 they didn't, yes. they didn't do it in hawaii and alaska yeah
4: mostly just the deep south actually but um
2: you're you're not far off from what i if i if i understand what what he's asking about Okay, then you go. I think I I I don't remember exactly what it is, but there was some sort of marriage thing. Like people would get married in like crawl gear or something like that.
1: Yeah. So so they had an arranged. They had twelve couples get married on a soundstage, like a crawl marriage, (laughs) and they had a bunch of like uh crawl like you know extras and stuff, just like (laughs) lining up. And afterwards, they they did it, and they got married but then i think it didn't get any press just, or something like no they did they, i think they're just like this is really screwed up you guys <laughs> like what are we doing like <laughs> it just it just never really went anywhere but they did marry 12 people on the soundstage in california
2: to promote <laughs> crawl <laughs> <And it> just, <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 how many of those 12 marriages are still you together? gotta find
4: one of them <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> that's your new job you're so you're for you're, you're, you're actually no
1: you're pretty close y'all y'all yeah i mean you're kind we of digging into the old southern custom of just like looking at your fast food uh <laughs> happy meal to see yeah to catch your next wife but yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah H- so how that happy was am it. i yeah. and okay question three one of the things i love to do is go over toys of yesteryear i spent a lot of time playing with these toys we love the eighties toys and guessing how much they cost. So let's hit a few of the hot toys of nineteen eighty-three. First up is the Atari fifty two hundred.
3: Now is it its price in eighty three dollars yes. or its equivalent
1: now? Eighty three dollars. This is the this is what it was listed at nineteen eighty
3: three. Are prices right rules in effect?
1: No, just the closest. Oh, well, then I don't know why we're bothering. Okay, okay, so the description is all the strength of a home computer already built in. 16K RAM. Ooh. Recreates all the frantic fun, plus generates more colors, sharper resolution, plus bigger blasts, bangs, and booms. Comes with armchair controls that start, reset, and can pause in mid-game. All for years for how much temp? $249.99.
2: Two
1: hundred and forty nine ninety nine. Okay, oh, that's my guess. Uh, Maxi,
3: <laughs> one dollar, Bob. <laughs> um, uh, that was my exact guess. Uh, two hundred feels too low, and three hundred feels feels too high. But I'm going to go two ninety
1: nine. Okay, and y'all, y'all. Well,
4: Bob, I'm going to come in at a
1: cool even four bills. What do you say? Whoa. <laughs> Well, it was one ninety nine dollars dollars That could be yours. Next up, Cabbage Patch Kids from Coleco. Description, adopt one and fill a little heart with all your love. They've got baby soft vinyl faces, big wistful eyes, pudgy fingers and toes, dimpled knees and elbows, even a cute belly button. Each doll is unique and comes with a special birth certificates and adoption
2: papers. How much for buying your own child? We're, we're talking <laughs> retail or the black market? Because this, this was the year, right, yeah. where these came out and it was like, that was like the, all the rage. Retail, yes. <laughs> and yeah.
3: it was only the birth certificate that was an original idea because they ripped off the, the design of the doll mm-hmm. from uh, a crafter who had a, a book out with design ideas in it.
4: Rumor is that that crafter actually stole the design of the doll from children.
0: <laughs> so, I don't know. It was...
3: <laughs> and there's the persistent urban legend that uh people would like send a damaged uh doll in to be repaired and would get a death certificate in the mail. What? <laughs> <laughs> I said Urban Legend at the yeah. at the start oh, of that. Oh
2: man, that'd be great.
3: <laughs> all right. So how much were cabbage patch
2: dolls is the question.
4: Uh fifteen. I'm just gonna jump in. Sorry, I'm gonna hop in and say fifteen. I gotta be a little hotter on the mic here. Fifteen. Uh,
2: I was gonna say like twenty five. I don't know. It's okay.
3: I hope it was. I hope it wasn't too much because I had a pet aunt and uncle who insisted on buying one for each of us, and I think there were five kids in the family at that oh, point. Oh wow! Um, well, they didn't have any kids of their own, and they're both professionals, so it was nice when when Uncle Rick and Aunt Sharon came to town. We went like, shopping. <laughs> Um, What were the previous guesses? We had like 15 and
2: 25.
3: 25. Let's say 30.
1: It was 1999. I got to stop there overshooting this. <laughs> yeah. Y'all, y'all. Oh. It's tied up. It's all tied. Now we're getting to the real good stuff. The Glamour Gals Ocean Queen, manufactured by Kenner. The Glamour Gals Ocean Queen luxury cruise ship includes two dolls, the ship has three decks and seven beautifully furnished cabins with portholes level operated elevator carries up to six dolls. There is a radar communications antenna on the observation
0: deck, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty bizarre, but yeah. I mean, whatever. I mean, uh, deck rails and an emergency lifeboat with ropes and <laughs> how much for your glamor gals, ocean queen y'all y'all.
4: Hmm, I'm going to have to say a cool 67 and that's a scientific number. Don't ask him how I get the math done.
1: <laughs> All right, Moxie.
3: Well, I keep overshooting and I also figured this is probably going to be a little bit on the cheaper side because this sounds like can't afford a Barbie. Here's this. It's like the mega blocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. of Oh, yeah. uh, uh twenty nine ninety nine.
1: Okay. Tim, were you did you used to uh play with your glamour galls, uh glamour gals ocean queen I queen on the radar <laughs> communication
2: thing? <laughs> <Yeah>. I <laughs> like, wish like, I had the that. coast
1: guard raise the coast guard.
3: <laughs> pan, pan, uh, pan, pan. I was
2: gonna say f- like forty-nine
1: ninety-nine. Real price in nineteen eighty-three dollars is sixty-nine ninety-nine y'all y'all wow you were like Shut up. almost Shit spot on out. i've been yeah saving
4: up my energy moxie come <laughs> on you came out a little hot here but i'm i'm the uh, i'm the dark horse i'm coming from the back here y'all <laughs>
1: yeah and the last one is the space invaders calculator manufactured by tiger it has all basic calculator functions including a space invaders game add subtract divide multiply your scores calculate your percentage of wins Play space invaders on eight skill levels. Alright, y'all, y'all, if you're on a roll, let's see.
4: I'm gonna have to go with <clears throat> $89.
2: Okay. 10.
3: Ooh, you think it's like a TI?
2: Yeah. You, you say me? Yep. Uh I think I go fifty again. All right, and Moxie.
3: I'm going under this time. I'm gonna say
1: nineteen ninety nine. Oh, and a real Price is twenty nine ninety nine. Wow, nice. So, yep, Moxie catches up. And for our last question, is who hated making this movie so much he took a vacation to the Caribbean in the middle of shooting?
3: Why has that not come up in any of my research?
2: <laughs> I I, say, I didn't it didn't come up in my research, but I have, I have a guess.
4: I have no clue. I can't even get the characters' names right. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. It's the (laughs) shitty Gandalf. I remember that
2: exactly. Yanir Tim, who do you think it was? I think it was Peter Yates, the director, because of he in some of the behind the scenes footage, he seems very frustrated. (laughs)
1: Like, so according to the, uh, the story told by I think Brian Johnson or something, who's there? I don't know, somebody that I read that peter yates took off for the caribbean and everyone had to stop working for three weeks it's just (laughs) oh no (laughs) so there is all of our questions before we get into the rankings is there anything from Krull that we failed to mention that we wanted to bring up
4: Uh, i did have one thought um especially with all of the world building the the aforementioned good movie that kind of got scrubbed over by uh that hollywood accounting in effect perhaps um is that this would make a fantastic i hate to say it but a flipped reboot with a female main character and uh it would also serve well as an animated series kind of in netflix's like faux anime Mm -hmm. but you know the space epic vibe could fuse a little better and I just thought, like, like, uh, like you all said, it's a great story. It's just, um, I don't mind a reboot on something like this where I like the story more than the movie. I mean,
2: honestly, that the Netflix idea isn't a bad one because there is a lot of like world building that they were trying to like allude to that like they never went into. That would be kind of interesting to see where they would go with it. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I, like, like what I was saying, like this is like a huge budget movie and it feels like as big in world building as they're trying to do, it feels like there's, there's no like, where are all the people like there's no societies they never go to a village they never see like a city that's true like, it feels like yeah. it feels
3: there's like 20 people in this movie so the
2: stakes feel very awkward like I don't know it feels it's very strange considering that like other movies we've done this season like Beastmaster like there's a lot of epic like tons of extras and stuff and like a bunch of scenes in that and that movie was like a fraction of the cost of this one so
3: it... now were you were you the one saying how much you enjoyed the Nelwyn village in Willow yeah it
2: was great like,
3: yeah, yeah, because it, it really felt very real. Yeah. It, felt, it felt like a real community, and yeah, you're right. There, it was absolutely devoid of any background life.
2: Right, because
3: outside of that wedding scene, we don't see any.
2: You don't see anybody. anyone
3: who's not one of the main characters.
2: Yeah, yeah it's like yeah, that's
3: it, weird.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, Tim, because it reminds me of when we were talking about Masters of the Universe. About their fighting over that planet, right? Whatever the planet's mm-hmm. name, and we're all like, that's just a piece of shit because there's nobody there. Right. It's just like desert. It's just de- rocky desert everywhere. <laughs> Who wants to live there? Yeah. You know, and so it's like kind of the same thing. Uh they did talk about a village, right? Because one of Liam Neeson's wives lived yeah. there, but they didn't go visit it. Yeah. You know? They just kind of called for a takeout or a delivery, <laughs> right. you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Worry about the day mm-hmm. this is attempt to segue. all
1: right let's get into the rankings so we go through and we rank our heroes and our villain so first up is Prince Colwyn we have three categories beefiness charisma and hair all right we're on we're on. The sc- on the Lundgren scale, and so it's a one to five Lundgrens. Let's start with Moxie.
3: Well, we can't use Lundgren to assess beefiness. That that really tilts <laughs> things against everybody who's not <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. Uh, I want to give I want to give Colwyn pretty much top marks. Uh, he was he was cast for resembling Errol Flynn. He had just come off of uh, the Marco Polo. A uh, TV miniseries for which he had already learned how to fence and fight and ride horses, so he was just like ready to drop right into this role, and did the best he could with what he was given. And yes, the hair was fabulous. Okay,
1: so five, five, five.
3: Yeah. Every oh, oh. right, body y'all... positive person. So <laughs> everybody's going to get. Didn't that, didn't I give Warwick Davis like four and be? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was a little <laughs> bit of uh, awkward,
0: uh, <laughs> a awkward. <laughs>
3: yeah. No, you're ranking
4: the beefiness of Warwick. <laughs> Sorry, it's too funny. Your man asked me
3: to. What am I supposed to
4: do? Oh, uh, no, hey. Yeah. No, I, I respect it. That's why we're in the game.
1: We got to <laughs> give him the hard facts, Moxie. You know the drill. <laughs> I think we all gave him five because we just didn't want to be an asshole. Well, <laughs> I love Willow, though. Yeah. But that's so I don't feel bad.
3: Willow, which we decided, again, was a better Masters of the Universe than Masters of <laughs> yeah. the Universe. Yeah.
4: <laughs> it's still a hard movie to sit through as somebody who was born in the 90s. I'll be honest. And I <laughs> love that fantastic. You know, I support the actor more. than That's why I watched Willow. is because I love Wicket, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. It, okay. So what's your scores for Colwyn, y'all, y'all?
4: All right, so on the beefiness, I'm going to give old boy a one. If I could beat him arm wrestling asleep, he ain't got it. But the hair is a a solid five (laughs) lungrins. And let's say on the charisma, I'll give him a two five, mainly because it's hard to tell where his bad acting ends and the bad script begins. So all around, I give him however many lungrins in average that is. (laughs) Moxie will probably know. She seems good with numbers.
1: I Oh, I have a spreadsheet. I don't know where you
3: came up with that impression, Mummy. <laughs> well, we
1: got a two point. That's a total score from two point eight three three from Y'all Y'all Tim. Wow. Who do you have?
2: Uh, I'll do three for Beefy. Uh, give him a five on the hair, and then yeah, his charisma, man. I don't know. He didn't wasn't doing it for me. I think I got to give him a two on charisma. That's a three point three three from
1: Tim uh colwyn me I, I was pretty harsh on i'm sorry ken marshall i know you're trying so beefiness i gave him a two um charisma i gave him a one he was just like he just wasn't really that hero right you know i mm-hmm. could go along with like a lot of those tropes a lot of the hero journey stuff if i really liked the characters because sometimes i think that's what these stories boil down to how much you like the characters like with willow i really liked the movie because i really liked um you know, Mad Mardigan and Willow, mm-hmm. those characters. So I was willing to go along with all the different cliches and stuff like that. This, like, he was just... Yeah, I mean, he was okay, but he just... Yeah, he wasn't a very good actor. Not He wasn't doing it for me. And he had... He I'm, I'm have,
3: looking, you know what? I'm looking... I don't, I, no offense intended, gentlemen. I'm looking at my, my webcam views <laughs> here, and I'm wondering wh- who we are to be casting such low marks in beefiness. <laughs> well, I...
1: Well, I'm not saying like I would give myself a one and beefiness <laughs> yes, right. on the Lundgren state scale. So I'll be I'll be honest, yeah. yeah. Like I'm not, but uh, I gave him a two. I didn't give him a one. He I gave him a one in, in climbing mountains. Okay, that's
4: right. Okay, I'll
1: give him a two point five. Class,
4: <laughs> classic air of judgment. He just ain't got the ass. I'll be honest. I can't see the ass on him. So that's no. Fair. You know you're
1: probably right, Moxie. I think I think just the. I've been too like enamored and like bewitched by Dolph Lundgren, and like I just—it's really yeah, hard just, to get. The, no
3: one can compete. How, are, yeah. how How would we survive being judged against? No, it's like
1: seeing even the Dolph pictures Lundgren of him and Grace Christine. Jones, like back in the day, like I just sit there and cry over the beauty, and like <laughs> it's just—and I really took it out on Ken Marshall here. I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry, <laughs> Ken.
1: All right, let's get into the beast. What, who, what, was, what was your rate on in hair? Oh. Four. Oh, okay. I give him a four. It is it is pretty sweet. Definitely. And that gives Colwyn, Prince Colwyn, a total aggregate score of three point four two, which uh puts him kind of middle of the pack. So that means our high score for the season goes to uh Wilbur Uffgood, right? Of good, ungood, something like that. And he had the top he is the top hero from season two. So let's get into the beast.
3: What who what?
1: What? Willow.
3: You just said Wilbur.
1: Oh, I'm going to have to... Uh, you said
3: Wilbur Good.
1: Oh, and well, And
3: my uh, brain just went full blue screen trying to figure out who you were talking about. Like, sorry about I, I know that. I I was only on for
2: three, but... That's just the nickname okay. that Bob gave him. Yeah, sorry about that.
1: This is what happens when you have three kids. My, my mind's basically mush, and I just force myself to go through this. Um Okay, so let's get into the beast. Was it really, like... Nobody really was the beast, right? They had a guy who voiced him, but it was like a uh, puppet, right? Yeah, it
2: was like... like
3: uh, It was a guy guy in a costume for some of it. And and they they didn't show him very clearly to keep it sort of nebulous and then to leave room for you to imagine him being worse than he is. Mm -hmm. Which was, I think, the smart decision.
1: So the three categories for the villain is competency, organization, and clothing slash accessories. So... Um, Maxi, what do you well, think?
3: He's going to get a zero for the third category because I do believe he was butt-ass naked.
1: <laughs> was he?
3: Okay, I, I don't recall seeing him clothed even in the shots where we can see his body. I think he's—I think he's more of a animal kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, competency, he's managed to conquer a lot of worlds, so he organized that. So, you know, uh, though they failed pretty badly on this seemingly uninhabited planet. Right. Uh, so we'll give him a four in competence. And what is the second category?
1: Organization.
3: Organizations. Yeah. I feel like that goes, we don't really see a lot of the organization. We see the boss man and we see the underlings. So let's shoot the middle there and say three. Okay total score of 2.33 y'all y'all
4: well i feel rather passionately about this issue bob tim moxie i happen to know for a fact that in the zen sense of everything being and not being simultaneously the beast both is clothing and is not so i give <laughs> the beast a five <laughs> in, in terms of organization skills let's admit the uh, results are there who are we to question the process who am i to ask the michael jordan of world conquering what it means to finger roll right off the backboard instead let's just pay attention to where the beast is now and how effortlessly he has conquered due to his organizational skills that's a solid five for me too now in terms of competency first of all i don't even know if the beast is actually a male or if it's just a projection on our Subconscious beliefs of what we find to be evil or sin, and that concept, but I got to give the competency a two, sadly, because nope. they fucked up. So that's my feelings on that. Well,
3: <laughs> you that's really what villains sold do, us. yeah. You, I can't, I can't nitpick any of that. You really sold us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's why
4: they pay me the big bucks, most, yeah. yeah. You know.
1: So, so I know, they like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> With, uh, yeah i didn't tell you tell tim that like tim has to send them a bunch of screen prints and shirts <laughs> yes Sorry.
4: yes we're getting a sc- yes <laughs>
3: i'll take i'll take a three the hard way shirt it's a little bit too snug on the bosom that way people misinterpret the, the meaning of the phrase
4: <laughs> and i'll take whatever is highest in fiber or protein on the merch rack i will just cook it down and consume it so
2: <laughs> tim Oh, um. Let's see. So, clothing, accessories. Uh, one, he doesn't like really, There's nothing going for him. Uh, yeah. The organization is. I mean, those slayers are pretty ineffective. So I don't know. I mean, I'd say I mean, he did conquer worlds, I guess. But yeah.
1: So what is he doing there? If he conquered these worlds, how's he? I just don't... keeping track of them? Is he? On th- like uh, multiple worlds at the same time type of thing? I
2: don't think so. No, I bounces around.
1: I, oh. I, I,
3: it's it's like the district manager visiting the different stores each
2: week. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say uh I would maybe a three on organization and then a two on competency. <laughs> How about clothing? Zero a hey, one or zero. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I think I'm gonna just give him twos across the board. The Beast was not like the greatest um, villain, not like
2: Homelander, definitely not. I just don't understand, like, what is, yeah, what like he, his motivations he, are so strange. He doesn't make it. I mean, like, he's just conquering. It's like, why does he
1: want? To, yeah, and then why does he want to get married to Lisa? Right, like what, like what. What does she have? And, like, if she was making, like, magic stuff, like the glaive, like, communicating or whatever, mm-hmm. like, I could see it's, like, oh, that's a pretty useful skill to have in a mate. But, like... Yeah, just...
3: it is a really big question that needs to it,
1: Yeah.
4: It's her virginity, guys. It was 83. That was the big prize, <laughs> her virginity. I, I'll let yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but it's gross, but, you know.
1: Yeah, it, but... It, Maybe I mean maybe he maybe he's like that is the basis of it. But even if you look at that in terms of like political um, considerations, it's not like it matters at all. Like he's no, just trying to
3: conquer somebody. You know? <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like not you know so. Like, I guess you could say that he he wanted to marry her to be able to put down any sort of insurrection, but he sure didn't talk about it. You know, he's just sort of like, it's, right? Like, am I missing yeah. him? Yeah. Like, yeah. explain. I, I, like,
3: I think there was just this assumption that that was what naturally follows, and we all just went along with it. And well,
4: hear me out. Sometimes the most powerful individuals seek to be the most submissive on the other side of the bedroom. So perhaps. <laughs> the beast has taken this fail only option in a sense to sadistically please himself and the ways these other worlds that are effortlessly conquered can't. Maybe this is all a ploy to just get shit on by <laughs> the dirty bandits. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to give this movie some, some depth here. You help me out.
1: You're really, you're, you're really sticking up for the beast. Y'all. y'all. I really <laughs> I'm
4: a fan. That. I'm a fan.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm a fan of all of you and we've hit, the end of the episode, end of season two, a whole bunch of stuff. We got a bunch of great stuff in store for future seasons. Well, I mean, in a couple of months, we're gonna take a little bit of a hiatus. And then I am trusting Tim and Toby with picking out movies for October and November. They've been such a good uh sports and uh follow me down this rabbit hole. Tim, what did you what did you pick?
2: ice we're, we're doing a hor- horror comedies for october so yeah. uh we're doing what we do in the shadows uh tucker and dale nice. versus evil nice uh, there's a, a newer movie that i feel like is very underseen but is fantastic called one cut of the dead it's a new japanese indie film that's amazing uh and then we're ending it because toby and bob have never heard of monster squad so we're gonna watch <laughs> yeah let me see it oh, Maybe. Oh, oh,
3: oh pencil me in for that please because <laughs> i went back and watched it for the for like, like the first time after a 20 year gap uh like last year with my husband who watched it for the first time i have thoughts
4: oh. that movie scared the shit out of me as a kid <laughs> there's a scene where like the werewolf like jumps from a car and does like a tumbling roll mm-hmm. And I used to take the trash out in my little trailer park and I would run as soon as I turned my back because I was convinced that that werewolf would jump <laughs> out of the car. I don't, I don't know, I'm sure that's some other shit. I'll talk yeah. to my therapist about it tomorrow.
3: <laughs> <laughs> just, re- just remember, if you ever need to defend yourself, that Wolfman's got nards.
1: Sure yes, does.
4: <laughs> valuable lesson for us all. <laughs>
1: Wow, I can't believe I never, I don't remember this. This is crazy. But we are, I am about to remember this forever. Yeah. Forever and ever. So
3: good, so bad.
1: Well, y'all, y'all, Moxie, Tim, thank you so so much for being on today.
3: Pleasure as always. We made it. Yep, we made it. We made it.
4: Until next time, gentlemen, it's always a pleasure. Stay wavy.
1: and thank you for listening to the aging hipster movie show the show was written by bob serrano and tim holly produced and edited by bob serrano the theme song was written by kid mental please check us out online join our facebook group or go to www.theaginghipsternetwork.com once again thank you and have a great night